0: It's not just feeling bad about my mistakes and my failures in life. It's not just knowing that God forgives me. Repentance goes beyond that. It starts with the knowledge and an agreement with God on these things, but it requires that I follow through and I actually trust Jesus. Hello, and welcome to Gospel Chapel Online. This is Pastor Doug Dunbar, and I'm glad that you found our podcast this week. This week, we're in the Gospel Project, and our topic today is repentance. And so uh, we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 to 10. We also had some baptisms this morning. That was great, and uh, celebrated communion together. In this message, I reference uh, a program that we've been running uh, called Freedom Session. And you can check that out at freedomsession.com and uh, find resources there. Uh, This is a 28 week discipleship healing journey that helps you overcome uh, spiritual stagnation, um, deal with the uh, past issues of your life, and give you tools to navigate conflict and relational tension today. And uh, this is one of the programs that I feel really strongly the church needs uh, to help people grow in following Jesus uh, we started uh, this year's run of this in September and will be finished at the end of April uh, but you can now take freedom session online at your own time at your own pace it's all free all you need to do is buy the workbook so I'd really encourage you to do that and uh, and find uh, freedom and discipleship uh, in that way hey Uh, Thank you for being here, and God bless you as we look at the issue of repentance today. Something got unplugged. That happens. All right, again, the message for the prophets has been very consistent. We've heard this over and over from Isaiah, from Jonah, uh, from Zephaniah. I was going to say Zechariah. We haven't got to there yet. And we're going to continue hearing this refrain over and over. The message to Israel and the message to us has been very consistent. Return to me. Return to me. For the people of Nineveh, to whom probably the most reluctant prophet and the most incomplete message through the preaching of Jonah, there was a change and repentance happened and they turned toward God. The people of Israel, however, to whom the prophets spoke over and over and wrote, including Jonah, they refused to turn to God and they persisted in rebellion. And the contrast couldn't be starker. And we'll look at this next week. We're going to look at the Jonah story again. The most wicked pagan nation addressed by the most bitter reluctant prophet repented and found favor with God and the people of God called by his name recipients of his revelation and his prophets refused to repent and experience the judgment of God with the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile. And what God called for over and over he still calls for today. Return to me. Return to me. Repentance. What exactly is repentance? And that's the question we're going to tackle a little bit today. Wayne Grudem in his uh, systematic theology says that repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of it, a sincere commitment to forsake it, and walking in obedience to Christ. It's in many ways just simply turning our backs on the way we've been doing life and turning toward Christ and the way he wants us to live, and following his lead. And to flesh this out, one simple passage that I think we should all memorize. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verses nine to ten says this, and as it is, Paul is speaking, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Now the whole context of this is that in 1 Corinthians, Paul had written a letter And he had identified and he had confronted a whole bunch of sins and missteps that the Corinthian church was was engaging in. They were failing to live out the gospel. Not only was there sexual sin, but there was divisions between the rich and the poor. There were issues regarding which spiritual gifts were greater and who was more important. And, And the reality of even the resurrection was in question. And that's just some of the bigger issues that Corinth was facing. They were a messy church. Anybody says, yeah, I just want to be a good old New Testament church again. Read Corinthians like, wow. Paul had to write a very hard letter to a very messed up church. Paul called out their dysfunction, their division. He called them to deal with their issues, to get back on track with the gospel in unity of being one body with one calling. And it was painful for everyone. Paul didn't even want to write this letter. You go back in chapter 7, he said, I was in anguish over, over you. I was in anguish that my words would have caused you too much pain. I didn't want to write that letter, but I had to. And I'm glad I did now. He was troubled. He was risking his relationship with the church, with these people that he had, he had led to Jesus. He had visited. He had spent time with them. He loved them deeply. And he had no way of knowing how they responded, probably for months. You know, now it's easy, right? I mean, you type out a, somebody's doing something wrong, you get on Facebook, <laughs> send, <laughs> right? And you know pretty quickly how people respond or you email. And it's instantaneous. But Paul had to write a letter, give it to somebody. Then they had to travel Deliver the letter, spend time there, and then somebody had to travel back. It could have been half a year. Imagine writing a letter that was just heartrending for you to, to, to call people back to, 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 to living according to God's design, and then you had to wait for six months to know how that all went down. Imagine Paul's heart during that time. I mean, how many times does he say in his letters, I've been praying for you deeply. My heart's been broken for you. Because he didn't know how it was going until Titus came back and brought a report. But well, when he heard the response, when he heard about the repentance, the sorrow that, that, that they didn't just, they weren't just sorrowful, but it, it resulted in change. There's a relief and a joy and a comfort. And you can almost hear Paul taking a deep breath and going, Oh, I'm so thankful that I wrote that. Even though it was painful for you to hear, it led you to repentance, and that repentance was godly, and it led you to repentance with no regret. It set you free. It set you free. You know, when you have to go to the doctor's office and they have to sit you down after a battery of tests, what do you want them to tell you? everything's fine. No, No problems. I know you're experiencing a little discomfort, but yeah, it's nothing. Or do you want them to be honest and just lay it out on the table? Paul had to lay it out on the table for them When scripture diagnoses the truth of our hearts, we can choose to ignore the diagnosis and think everything's fine and just continue living and believing what we want or we can admit our lives are in trouble and we seek God for his wisdom and correction. That's what the prophets were sent to do for Israel. Diagnose the problem, identify clearly where they've gotten off track with God and point them to the solution and the solution always in every case was this simple, return to me says the Lord not to a program not to the Bible not to, not, to, not to going to church every week return to me before behavior changes a relationship needs to be restored return to me this is what God did right from the get go where are you? He said, first question in the Bible, where are you? He called Adam and Eve back to himself and God continually, persistently uses that question for all of us. Where are you? Return to me. Because a change of behavior can only come about when we recenter our lives, our mind, our will, our emotions on God as he is and come to understand my sin as it is And then I trade my way of doing life in for God's way of doing life. I'm talking about repentance today, and repentance means that I agree with God about the reality of my sin, my inability to deal with sin, and I surrender my life completely to Jesus Christ as the only one who can both deal with my sin and restore my life. See, it's not just feeling bad about my mistakes and my failures in life. It's not just knowing that God forgives me. Repentance goes beyond that. It starts with the knowledge and an agreement with God on these things, but it requires that I follow through and I actually trust Jesus. I was reading somewhere today, or or this last week, somebody said, a lot of people in our churches believe in Jesus, but they don't believe Jesus. We believe in the idea. We, We believe in the doctrine but do we believe in the person? Do we believe that Jesus is who he said he is and that we can have a personal relationship with him or is it just a list of facts that we assent to? There's a difference. Before behaviors change, a relationship must be restored. Return to me. This is what repentance is all about. Surrendering everything I am and trusting His sufficiency to forgive, to heal, and to restore. In short, repentance is turning from my way of doing life and fully surrendering to Jesus for who He is. And this is something that we really explore in depth at Freedom Session. In fact, the first six weeks. delve deeply into this reality first because if we don't get this, there's no freedom. Step one, we admit that in our own strength, we are powerless to rise above our hurts, resentments, unhealthy behaviors, attempts to control our lives have become unmanageable. That's really the first thing that repentance requires is that we come to the place where we go, my life's a mess and I need help and I can't do it. And the reality is is that a lot of us are a little more broken than we'd like to admit. Oh, we've been trying to manage life, but really we're just running from truth. The truth of our own sinfulness, our own brokenness, our own hurts and hang-ups. The second step is this. We come to believe that God exists, that he loves us deeply, and that through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we can be healed and fulfill the purpose for which we were created. And this is an important step in our journey because we, God, it says in Hebrews, faith is the essence of things unseen, the substance of things hoped for, that, we, that God richly rewards those who seek him. That's faith, that's turning to him. We come to believe that God exists, that he loves us deeply. And it's only through a personal relationship with Jesus we can be healed. But step three, this is the tricky one. We make a conscious decision to turn our lives, our pain, and our will over to the care of God and the leadership of Jesus Christ. See, the first two aren't that hard. The first two are really easy, actually. Yep, my life's messed up. Yep, God exists. But it's this surrender part that's hard for us because we desperately want to hang on to control. And some of us are really afraid to let go of the things that have messed our lives up because they so have identified our lives that we don't know who we are without our problems. And it would be a scary thing to actually be healed. Now in John's gospel, Jesus comes across a man who's trying to get into the pool of Siloam and he asks him a very important question. You ever think about this one? He asked the man, do you want to get healed? And he asked that from a blind man too. What would you like me to do for you? Imagine if Jesus asked you that question this morning. What would you say? God of the universe who created everything is right before you and he says to you, what would you like me to do for you today? Wow. Would you believe that he could do it or is it just more wishful thinking? You know, what if that blind man just wanted to help across the street somebody to pick up his groceries or just, you know, somebody to talk to for a little bit. Maybe it would have been different. And here's the challenge with this one, the conscious decision to turn our lives, our pain and our will over to the care of God and the leadership of Jesus Christ, meaning I'm going to just lay down the lordship of everything and admit that I'm not in control. You know, because that's really admitting reality. For any of us to experience a depth of freedom that Je- when Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly requires that we surrender how we've been trying to manage our lives our failures, our regrets, our pains, and to invite Jesus into every nook and cranny and every dark corner and invite him to shine his light into those places where we have been hiding from him and from others and from ourselves. And this is what Paul means when he says in Second Corinthians 7.10, godly sorrow leads to repentance without regret, with no regret. Think about that phrase for a moment. if repentance is a return to relationship with Jesus Christ first. And when we turn to Jesus Christ and we turn our lives fully towards him and we stop hiding, we find that his love and his grace and mercy are so wonderful and overwhelming that we can finally drop the baggage of regret we've been carrying around all these years and the things that have been weighing down our lives continually continually damaging our relationships and discovering a salvation that was meant to set us free and make us whole and fill our lives with a significant purpose and hope that we've never imagined. God can do more with our lives than we've allowed him to. Repentance with no regrets. Proverbs 28, 13 to 14 says this, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. You see, repentance requires only one thing, humility. Humility. We must admit that our lives are unmanageable apart from God's help and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. When I read 1 Corinthians 7.10, I see only two options for us in dealing with our sorrow and our sin and our regrets. We either repent and we turn to God and find life and freedom, or we hold on to our regrets, which is death. Emotional, spiritual, relational, physical death. Because harboring regret is contrary to the gospel. Harboring regret is choosing to live in my pain and not allowing Jesus to heal me. Harboring regret denies the work of Jesus when he died on the cross. You see, harboring regret at its root is a sin of pride. Regret says, I will pay for my sin myself. And it's the worst form of denial there is because it denies the sufficiency of Jesus Christ to deal with my sin at its root, which then is to live a lie because he has completely paid for every sin. I just don't believe it. And that's why, for some of us, worship becomes routine and rote and a duty. Reading the Bible becomes dry and boring and an obligation. Church is an obligation. Giving is an obligation. Serving is a massive energy drain on our lives. There's no life. There's no vibrancy. There's no expectancy. Because we don't really believe that Jesus paid it all. We have to pay. That's what regret does to our hearts. It turns us hard. And whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. And when we harden our hearts, we cannot come into the presence of Jesus and experience any of the freedom that he offers. Because if we are not willing to turn our lives, our pain, and our will over to God, he can't heal us. Because when we harden our hearts and when we come into his presence, he inevitably will shine his light on those things that we are not surrendering to him. And we create a life of avoiding him because he always exposes the real needs in our hearts, which are often painful. You know, we may show up to church, we may do all the stuff, and we believe that God restores and he heals and he has, brings great freedom for other people. But I'm kind of done. God can't do any more. We believe the gospel for other people, but not for ourselves. And that's worldly sorrow that leads to death, not godly sorrow that leads to repentance with no regrets. Again, relationship is central to repentance. It is the one call of repentance. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts. Repentance is coming to Jesus, allowing him to expose the pain and the sin in our lives and our regrets, and then surrendering them to him fully so that he can restore us completely. Repentance is turning from our sin, but it is incomplete unless we turn toward Jesus. Repentance is a reorientation of all that we how we view reality, we no longer define reality now based on my sin, my past, my pain. I begin to define reality in the light of Jesus Christ and who he is, his atoning work on the cross, his victory over sin and Satan and death and the freedom he secured and the healing he provides and the life he offers. That's repentance that leads to a life with no regrets. As we prepare for communion this morning, just close your eyes and I want to have you consider some questions. Have you come to trust in Jesus personally? Or are you still at the point of intellectual knowledge and emotional approval of facts for salvation without having personally put your trust in Christ? If you have not put your trust in Christ yet, What do you think it is that is making you hesitate? Another question, are regrets holding you back in life and relationships? What would it look like to experience salvation with no regret in your life? What will it take to experience that kind of life? And why aren't you pursuing that yet? Another question, has repentance remained a continuing part of your life or has it grown somewhat weak? What would be exposed in your heart and life in the presence of God that you would like to keep hidden, rather not face? why are you holding on to it? It's affecting your life. And it's keeping you from the freedom that Jesus wants for you. One of the first things our doctors will do is they'll take our temperature. What's the current temperature of your spiritual life? Do you feel close to God? If so, what is it that's keeping you there? Inversely, are you feeling distant from God? And what's keeping you there? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. God has provided for your freedom to be made whole, to be restored, and to let go of regrets. Regrets. That's why Jesus came into this world. That's why he died. That's why he rose again. That's why he continues to intercede for us before the throne of God. Will you come into his light? Will you be brave enough to be seen for who you really are so that Jesus can heal and restore you to whom he already knows you are and can be? You see, Jesus already knows every pain, every sin, and every regret that you're carrying in life. He died for every single one of them. There is nothing in your life that will ever surprise him or make him pull away in horror and terror. He will not reject anyone who comes to him in repentance, asking for forgiveness and restoration. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts. Lord, thank you for what you have done for us. Now, Lord, as we prepare to receive from the table of the Lord, may we open ourselves to you and return to you in repentance that leads to no regret. In Jesus' name, amen.